Hello, welcome back to BU Podcast. This is Jill Herman, your host. I'm so happy you're here with us. Welcome back to our four-week series on health. Unconventional, alternative, holistic, whatever you want to call it. Not the typical advice and information that you're going to hear on or off social media about how to have a healthy life. So we spent a lot of time on the show talking about inner work. We don't spend much time talking about our physical body. Now, they are very, very connected, right? It doesn't matter how healthy of a lifestyle you live. If you don't address your trauma and you don't do what it takes to get that out of you and free yourself of that, then you're really not healthy, right? No kale smoothie is going to cure that. However, we can't completely ignore our physical body and only focus on our spirituality or our inner healing. So this month is dedicated to both, but mostly focusing on the physical body. So last week you heard us speak with Dr. Lindsay Resch and Dr. Nick Truby. And today we're talking to Dr. Mosgadi, who happens to be my doctor. So I found her through Dr. Stillman, who's my functional medicine physician. And she is a functional medicine physician who spent years working as a gynecologist. So she's an expert in women's health and has specialized for the last four years in hormone regulation. She's brilliant. She speaks, I don't know, at least five, six languages. She's lived all over the world. She's a a love. She's funny. She's relatable. And I'm so, so happy that I found her. So I asked her to share on this podcast because I have had such a great experience with her. She has been so helpful. She listens to me. She is so intelligent and clearly highly educated. And she puts the patient first and has designed her practice so that she can continue to do that. And I really respect and admire her for that. So Dr. Salome Mascotti is a board-certified gynecologist with fellowship training in minimally invasive surgery and pelvic pain. She's been focusing on functional medicine and hormone balancing for the last four consecutive years, and she offers virtual consults. So this conversation is going to be really helpful. We talk about, oh my gosh, everything from menopause to perimenopause, hormones, birth control, just women's health in general. And this is probably going to crack you open a little bit, maybe challenge you a little bit, and hopefully provide some really, really great answers to questions that you have been struggling with for a while. So enjoy this episode and this conversation with the brilliant Dr. Muscati. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, Dr. Muscati, my favorite doctor, sorry, Dr. Stillman, (laughs) on BU Podcast. I'm so happy you're here with me. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So as I shared with our audience, and I have actually mentioned it in a few other episodes, I found you through Dr. Stillman, who is my functional medicine primary physician, and he highly recommended you, and I'm so grateful that he connected us. What I love about you is not just that you think out of the box and you've studied outside of the traditional model, which I do know as a nurse, you have to go find that. That's not provided as a physician. You have to go search that out. But I love mostly that you listen to your patient. So as your patient, I want to thank you for that. You listen to me. You trust my body and my body knowing and my intuition. 
and and you really, really hold a really safe container as a doctor, which unfortunately isn't extremely common. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. And I mean, I just want to let her rip. I mean, you could just go on for hours and I would just sit back here and pop popcorn and listen. I mean, we are talking to primarily women. We have listeners all over the world, over 120 countries, countries I've never even heard of. And, you know, I really believe that that they deserve to hear some of what you're about to share. So let's start with this. Let's actually talk about you for a minute. How did you get to this point where you are, and maybe you could even explain what does it mean to be functional medicine? Some people use the word holistic. Let's start there. Yeah. Um, you know, the def- term functional medicine hasn't been really well defined, but it really describes physicians who, depending on whatever training they had, but we are, you know, often MDs or DOs who are classically trained, can also involve, you know, nurse practitioners or PAs or nutritionists or health coaches that wanted, you know, to understand the body in different ways. And as a physician, we undergo very rigorous training with medical school and residency, and that's years of very, very standardized training uh, with certain um, modules and exams. Everything is standardized. Everybody goes for the same training. It's very extensive. And beyond that, there is some education you can continue as a doctor. You go to conferences, you stay within your specialty, you can continue to educate yourself. But with functional medicine, it's a form of continuous education for doctors who want to look beyond just the traditional allopathic medicine. And they want to try to understand how the body functions as a whole. So how do the organ systems play a, a role within each other? So even though you might have your specialty, like I'm a women's health specialist, I'm a gynecologist, I still want to understand how does your liver function? How does your hormone, how do your hormones affect your heart? How does your thyroid function? What's brain health? What's the importance of bones for women? And then how does your gut health play a role with everything? How does your mental health play a role with everything? So it's kind of just connecting the dots and you still go and you still function within the principles of medicine, the pathophysiology, the physiology, the biochemistry, but you just connect the dots in a different way. So it's not really reinventing the wheel. It's just looking at the things that we already learned in a different way, with a different perspective. So I will tell you that it's shocking to hear you say that every physician doesn't already learn that way. Like I, when you just said, you know, I want to learn about all the organ systems. I'm like, shouldn't every doctor know about all those organ systems? Like, yeah, we could go down a rabbit hole with that. But what? Yeah, what's? Tell me the difference. We do, we do in medical school, but then we become very uh, specialized. You know, our residency, we choose a specialty. I I think it would help if I just described to you what an OBGYN residency looks like. It's four years in length, and you spend over the half of your time taking care of pregnant women. And a lot of that has to do with hospitalizations. Like you are in the hospital, you take care of women who come to the hospital, who give birth, who are taken care of afterwards. And with GYN, you take care of women who come for surgeries, who have maybe acute episodes of pain or bleeding, emergencies like ectopic pregnancies, miscarriages. They need a hysterectomy. They need fibroids removed. That's where we spend most of our time. We're mostly in the hospital. We spend some time in the office where we take care of women, trying to take care of pap smears, annual exams, prevention, But that's not what the majority of our training is focused. So we become very hyper-focused on emergent cases, things where it has to do with hospitalization, very diseased people. But, you know, medicine is not just taking care of extremely sick people, which I'm very grateful for this training. I'm grateful to have had exposure to all those things and be able to take care of women like that. It allowed me to go on mission trips to surgeries for underserved people. It allowed me even now, like, even here in the U.S., take care of women who might need specific type of care that not everybody can give them, like, you know, a hysterectomy for extreme bleeding. But we didn't really learn how to take care of women long term. We didn't, we weren't allowed to establish care because we had so many rotations. If I saw a patient in clinic, I might not be the person who saw them next time when they came back two months later. So I didn't 
I wasn't able to establish the outpatient care, establish relationship with patients as much. And even if I did, even if patients sought me out because they be bonded, I was very limited but by my supervisors and what the limitations of residency were, what kind of things we were allowed to do within the realms of the hospital and the rules there and the administration and all the residency requirements. It almost felt like military training. Mm. For someone like me who loves everything all the time, whose senses are open to everything, who is extremely curious not just with regards to medicine, like regards to food and cultures and languages. I mean, that's just what my background is. It was it was torture, Jill. It was torture. I had to suppress 90% of my personality. I really didn't like it. I was unhappy most of the time. I was tired. It was 16-hour days. I felt overwhelmed. And I didn't feel that I learned all aspects of the specialty. So I spent most of my time outside of training, learning about all the things that I wanted to learn about hormones and menopause and, you know, gut health and, you know, just the, the, the aspects of things that we didn't learn in residency. So I think I'm fortunate because I got all this incredible intense training that a lot of doc- other people don't get when they're not in re- undergo residency. But beyond that, I'm also able to learn a lot more. And my practice now is mostly focused on not the extremely sick people that need emergent care in the hospital, but mostly on prevention, quality of life, lifestyle, you know, wellness, anti-aging, more things that just weren't the focus in our training. So, and, and really everybody is a little bit different. A lot of people might say they do functional medicine, but how they offer that differs from one person to another. I think you've noticed with me that I'm not, someone who's just gonna, you know, throw supplements at you, you know, you can't just replace medication with supplements and call yourself a functional medicine doctor. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Because that's not the solution either, you know, so I think and I'm still learning, Jill, and I learn from every patient. I'll never forget our conversation when you came back from your specific trip and told me about your healing journey. And this is really important to me. I think I connect the best with women who actually want to take care of themselves first and who want to advocate for themselves because it makes my job so much easier to just be there as a support, not someone who tells you what to do. That's just not naturally what I want to be. That's not the role I want to play. Now, if there's an emergency situation and your life is at you know at risk and there are certain things that you don't know about i'll tell you this is what i would do but overall i think for long term healing i feel like it's really helpful and healing to move away from that authoritarian aspect of medicine that maybe 30 40 years ago someone with a white coat and a stethoscope would walk into a room talk to the patient for two minutes, give them the results, not explain anything about those results, stamp them with a diagnosis and they would be on their way. And they would, and there was not a lot of choice about what are your alternative treatments? What is, what is informed consent? What is, what does this mean? What does your labs mean? How can your body heal? So I feel like that's what I want to do. That's how I want to practice. And that is how you practice. And it's interesting as I hear you speak because I've explained on this podcast the difference between a therapist and I don't, I'm not knocking therapy. Some people think I am, I'm not. The difference between a therapist and a, like a life coach. The difference is what you just described. A really good coach holds space, a really safe container. They can hold anything because they've gone through everything themselves And they hold space for the client to discover on their own by just asking really great questions and observing. And yet that's what you do. And you just described the same thing. It's almost like we could insert traditional MD with the type of MD you are, which isn't necessarily every functional medicine doctor, right? As you said, but you hold a safe container, you ask great questions, you observe, and you let our body wisdom speak and you listen to that. And that's a, that's really, it's so powerful. And I'm so glad you did mention about the throwing supplements. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was laughing because where I live in Indiana, there are some brilliant physicians and they've been known for years as being cutting edge and their functional medicine. And I'm like, all they're doing is 
having you buy $400 a month worth of supplements and saying it's holistic because it's not, you know, pharmaceuticals from the pharmacy. And it's, it's just another version of that. And they're not changing anything underneath that. And anyway, that's a whole different topic, but okay. And I heard you say too, it makes sense that you said that in medical school, of course, you get all the education on all the organ systems, all, how everything functions, but then you get so specialized in your specialty and then you forget that. So I, you know, I told you I was an RN for, I don't know, 15 years or something. And that was my biggest frustration is that I would be taking care of a patient and the doctors, first of all, are so busy and overwhelmed and stressed, but they're also not speaking to each other. And there's no one in the middle saying, hold on a second, you're saying this about her heart, you're saying this about this, no one's talking to each other and there are 18 different solutions. They'd even come into the hospital and change each other's orders, you know? And so like the nurse becomes the referee. But anyway, I I get what you're saying and that's not an intentional thing on their part, but they do get such tunnel vision. They can only see through the eyes. Most people don't even know that OBGYNs are primarily surgeons. I said that to a friend and she's like, why would you say that? I said, because they are. And it's not bad and wrong, but they're surgeons. <laughs> they mostly operate. So you've helped me, and this is what we'll talk about now, in the areas that you said that are not, they may feel acute, but they're not emergent. And they are, you know, hot flashes or menopause, weight gain, different symptoms that we don't know how to tackle. No doctor is giving us a really a straight answer about it. And it's not life-threatening, but it's it feels debilitating. It feels like it has turned your life upside down. And then you come in and say, hold on, let's pause. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's go back to what are you eating? How much are you moving? Let's talk about hormones. You know, you're helping me detox my liver. I've heard that for years, Dr. Muscati. I I didn't even really know how to do that. So let's start there with, let's talk to many of our our listeners are, I would say, approaching menopause or in menopause. Many are not, but it applies. They're all going to get there at some point. So if you're listening and you're in your 20s or 30s, this is going to affect you or it's affecting your sister, your aunt, or your mother. Let's start there with perimenopause and menopause. What do you wish every woman knew that she might not be hearing from her doctor? It is not normal to suffer. It is not normal to have painful, heavy periods. It is not normal to have pain with intercourse. It is not normal to feel depressed or have no desire at all, no libido. I hear that often from a woman where they undergo menopause and they feel like it's part of the challenge in life is to also go through these hot flashes and suffer through them. And it just shows how strong they are being able to, you know, to go through that. And I'm not even saying that you have to go through it and necessarily just use hormones, but please don't normalize the suffering, the lack of sleep, the feeling ashamed that you're, you know, sweating in front of everybody and soaking through your clothes and it affects you in every aspect of your life. Let's say, yes, it is natural for our bodies to change. It is normal to age. So that I all agree with. But I don't find suffering needs to be normalized. I think there are many ways you can address it. I think you can definitely work on it from a spiritual perspective. You can address it from a trauma perspective. You can address it from a stress perspective, mindfulness, how to calm down your sympathetic nervous system. You can address it through breathing, your diet, your lifestyle. But if you feel like you're addressing everything in a natural way and you still need help, don't be scared of hormones. You know, yes, our bodies naturally change and we used to for thousands of years just not live as long past, you know, childbearing age and life expectancy for women and men wasn't as high. I mean, men were constantly engaged in war and women back, you know, famine and hunger and poverty for the majority of people living past 50 was a luxury and it's only in the last 150 years that we live longer and now menopause is becoming more of an issue because we might have women who undergo their menarche or periods earlier so we might also have women with earlier menopause we have 
more offenders to our health than ever before, like chemical toxins and stressors and the modern lifestyle. But women live 30, 40, 50 years past that menopause. So let's help them feel the best they can. And so I come from no place of any judgment. I'm just saying, if you tell me I want to change the way I feel, I'll show you different ways you can do that. And if you want to use hormones, I'll take the fear of hormones away because a lot of women have been traumatized by what's been spread about hormones the last 20, 30 years based on some wrongfully interpreted studies and some fear mongering in the medical community and in the media about hormones. And I want I want to get into that. Before we do that, I want to go back to something you said. And it's so beautiful that the way you show up in the world and the way you practice is so in alignment with our podcast. If you think about the podcast, it's called Be You. And it's about finding your true authentic self and in lifting all those layers and masks and and really listening to that body wisdom and your intuition, et cetera. And I love that that's how you live and that's how you teach and that's how you practice. It's a perfect fit. When you were talking about the suffering, I've talked about that many times on this on this show about, I actually had an episode called Sadness Over Suffering about how I would choose to suffer. I felt like suffering was a badge of honor and also it was my duty and I didn't know how to not be a martyr. So it was part of my identity and a lot of women live that way, sadly. Do you feel, this is kind of a loaded question because I feel this is true, that if it were men we were talking about, it would be handled very differently, the symptoms of menopause. Because it is almost as if we are, one, we're, we're not listened to, but also as a collective, as women, we've been programmed to believe, as you said, that we have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Even the way we talk about pregnancy, the way we talk about childbirth. Like if I had a baby today, it would be very different from when I had a baby in my 20s. Oh my God, I was terrified. I was told how bad it was going to be, how much pain it was, and I would experience and hurry up and medicate. And it creates such a disconnect between our bodies and whatever changes it undergoes. I mean, I agree with you, even with the birthing. I mean, I was watching this amazing breach home birth video the other day. Uh, Some friends sent me, I mean, never in our training would they have allowed something. (laughs) And we... We hospitalized women for the most natural thing, which was birthing. And I had this conversation with a friend. She's a very enlightened OBGYN and she still does OB. I don't do OB anymore. And she brought a program to her hospital where they allow, they have a separate basically area for home birthing, but next to the hospital. So I think it's the best of two worlds. So they get the midwife experience and the natural you know, birthing. It's not in their home, but it's in a very comfortable environment and then if anything were to happen an emergency god forbid they would be very close to the hospitals which i think i could live with that the best if i were still to do ob i would want to work in an environment like that because watching those natural births without epidurals under the guidance of an experienced midwife i mean so beautiful it makes me cry to this day every time i did a delivery i cried every time a little bit i didn't show it to the patients but i was just so touched every time by the miracle of life and then watching that in a context of a very natural birth i was just even more touched and um So I'm with you, Jill. I think if we all had all the information that we have now, and it will get even better. Like I feel like there's more and more enlightenment going on in the world about our health and our bodies. Um, I think things are just only going to get better. Women are going to be more advocating for themselves. So I cannot answer the question about men and women. I think it's a very common discussion in the medical field. I might be a little bit atypical where I defend men a lot too. I think they suffer a lot in silence and we don't acknowledge them a lot. I'm not, I don't like to say I'm a feminist or I defend women. I love treating women, but I'm not going to attack men because of that. So uh, what I would say is I think the solution is for women to just become more enlightened and informed and advocate for themselves. And then they will find physicians like me who love exactly that type of woman who can learn from this kind of patients. I learn from women and then I give back support and my medical knowledge. And I think it's such a different dynamic in that relationship. So, and I keep learning myself about my own health. Would I have done the birth control in my twenties, knowing what I know now? 
I wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to share this too. When I was take, talking about the difference between men and women, to me, it's not finding fault with them. It's because they do advocate for themselves. Yeah. They wouldn't put up with it. They wouldn't, I don't think they would say, well, I just got to suffer. I just, it just has to be, I think they would say, this isn't making sense. There has to be a better yeah. solution. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not so sure about it because I work in an IV clinic where I have male patients too. And often it's their wives who bring them to the clinic. They would never come. They don't think there's anything wrong with them. They think it's normal to feel depressed, maybe not have erections. So I see it from a different perspective. But having said that, have a lot of medical research uh, or has a lot of big pharma money gone towards products that maybe are more oriented towards men historically. Yes, but I also think that has very much changed and I think it's constantly changing now. So maybe that was a conversation for years ago. But again, I'm a very atypical OBGYN. I hear a lot of social media, every OBGYN wanting to align themselves with women by sounding more feminist. I'm just not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. I love it. But if you if you want to talk about your feminine divinity and energy, I'm all for it. But I don't really have to do that in context with comparing you to the other gender. Yes. I don't have to compare women within their races. I'm not that kind of conversation. I, I do not like those kind of conversations. Ooh, I love I, it. I love you. I'm very focused on the individual and what their context is and what is your history and what does life mean to you? What is your purpose? And that is all part of your healing journey, you know? So, yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the hormone conversation. Because I know you are the last person who would ever try to convince someone to do anything. And I used to be someone who tried to convince everyone to do everything. And I don't do that anymore (laughs) to each her own for sure. And there is something about empowerment through education. Like there are, I have highly intelligent, educated, successful friends who just don't know because their doctor who they trust has scared the living shit out of them. And they're like, I can't believe you're doing HRT. And I said, why? Because you're going to get breast cancer. I said, who told you that? Where did you get that information? So would you just enlighten us on the truth about hormone replacement? I think a lot of this comes from the OBGYN that you trust is often the person who has treated you ever since maybe you started birth control, you got pregnant. It is usually the same person who delivered your babies and you stay in that relationship with them. And But the truth is that maybe the person who delivered your baby is not the best person to counsel you on hormones or on GYN-related issues just because of how a practice is built up. And I'm not making general assumptions either. I'm just saying that was based on my experience. I had to distance myself from certain parts of my specialty so that I could become an expert in others. That meant I could no longer give my attention fully to deliveries and become a hormone specialist and a GYN specialist for the surgeries we were doing. So that was just a natural evolution of that. And that's because we cannot be great at everything. As much as I would want to, it's impossible to be be really good in everything. So that was just to say, A lot of women, just because this is the person you have known for 20, 30 years, doesn't mean that they are the most up-to-date person about hormone health. Knowing what we know now about hormones, and we have so many studies that have reinterpreted the Women's Health Initiative, which was the big study about hormones, which scared women away from hormones. And they found a lot of statistical uh, misinterpretations and even longer-term data from the same authors showing that what they had described as risks were really not the risks that described. I think every woman, for the sake of the length of this conversation, I would recommend they read the book Estrogen Matters by Avery Blooming. And that's a great book to take away the fear of hormone replacement for women. What it says is it looks at all this data and it makes the right interpretation. And what we know is that really in those studies, If anybody had a higher risk of breast cancer, it was a minimal increased risk. And we know that control group of the women who had higher risk was a group that had generally lower than average risk. So it made the higher risk statistically look higher. It was basically hyped up, hyperinflated. 
In addition to that, the group that higher risk had higher risk of breast cancer was the group that was both on estrogen and progestin. The type of estrogen they used was the Premarin, which is from pregnant horses. It's horse urine, and it's a very synthetic type of estrogen. And the progesterone they used was not the bioidentical progesterone you and I were talking about in our visits. It's progestin. It's synthetic. And what we know now is that most likely, if anybody has a little bit of an increased risk of breast cancer with hormones, it's with the synthetic progestin types, if anything. And even when they use the synthetic estrogen, when that was used alone, that group of women did not have a higher risk of breast cancer. The whole assumption is that estrogen is a problem, okay? But here's what I would like to explain to your listeners. Every woman, breast cancer or not, has estrogen receptors in breast cells. The estrogen receptor being positive on a breast cancer biopsy doesn't mean that the estrogen caused that cancer. It's just a future, a feature, like it's just a characteristic of that cancer cell. It's just like you and I having brown hair. Okay. That doesn't mean it's our brown hair that caused our eyes to be brown. Like I'm just using an example. It's just a feature. And whether you use that feature to target cancer treatment doesn't mean that that was the cause of the cancer. So it's just something that you can use in cancer therapy to address those cancer cells because they have those characteristics. And in fact, we know that women who are estrogen receptor positive have better outcomes, better survival rates, because it means that cancer cell hasn't changed too much from its original characteristics. It still has that receptor, meaning it still looks very much like a normal breast cell. The more it mutates, the more it loses that estrogen receptor, the worse that cancer is, the worse it behaves, the more malignant it is. So the estrogen receptor positivity cannot be called a cause. It's just a characteristic. Having said that, while a woman with estrogen receptor breast cancer undergoes treatment, the treatment they use part of that beyond radiation and chemo can be estrogen receptor blockers, right? As I said, they use that characteristic to address the breast cancer cells. Well, we now know that once a woman has completed treatment, she could potentially receive hormone replacement therapy again. Because these two things are very different things. One is treating cancer. One is giving her hormones for her overall benefits. Bone health, brain health, hot flashes, vasomotor symptoms, vaginal dryness. This is a conversation that is constantly moving. Unfortunately, a lot of oncologists who are the primary doctors for someone with cancer are willing, less willing to talk about the importance of hormones and probably instill some fear in women by still propagating that it was the hormone replacement that caused the cancer to begin with. And I do not like any type of fear mongering, and I do not like guilt tripping anybody about any choices. Even, for example, if I know that oral birth control pills causes can increase the risk of blood clot, if someone comes to me with a blood clot, I'm not going to make them feel guilty about having been on birth control because you had to make choices. And everything, even getting into your car and driving to work is a risk. I'm not going to make you feel guilty about your choices, first of all. And second of all, it is my role to clearly communicate with you that having been on hormone replacement did not really increase your risk of breast cancer. You could have developed breast cancer whether you were on hormones or not. You should never fear monger women. But if you are on hormones and you develop cancer, you actually have a higher survival rate, lower mortality, because you're overall healthier. Thank you for saying that. Okay, so here's my question. So I get some of this information coming from oncologists. It makes sense. But why are so many highly intelligent, clearly, you know, board certified, legitimate gynecologists out there saying that women should not be on hormone replacement because the the group that I was going to remember I came to you I was going to a group and 
well, we can go down that path in a minute. But but as far as the HRT, I had, you wanted me to have something done. And I could only find one gynecologist out of a group of like 40 who would even see me because I'm on HRT. It was like I was flagged. And I was like, what the hell? So what what is the reason? Why do you think that that they're so against it? It's just hard to us in residencies, a lot of fear mongering. We're not educated enough about hormones. It's not a priority. And all we talk about is that one study with the negative side effects, does the, the exams reiterate the same fears? And then with oncologists, I, I don't want to sound negative, but I find oncologists are sometimes some of the most broken people sometimes maybe it has to do with the fact that they deal with very sick people and they feel very overwhelmed and you feel out of control but it doesn't matter how much I will feel out of control I try to stay positive about the fact that if one's person life goes a certain way doesn't mean the next patient is going to fall into the same category and staying individualized and not to fear monger people I think doctors we have very difficult We have limitations in our communication style with patients. We have very limited amount of time with them. We are under a lot of pressure from the hospital systems, from the insurances. We have very, very little time to talk to patients. And then they, and we see a lot of patients in a day. It feels very like you feel burned out. And so now you have a patient who's more complicated and who's asking questions. It's much easier to make them feel guilty about their choices than to spend an extra half an hour and enlighten them. It's just what it is. The truth is, a lot of physicians are burned out. They have the lack of education for hormones. We are not taught in residency how to treat women in menopause. And it's only doctors who go beyond their education and learn about hormones on their own that's going to be help, able to help you. And, you know, Jill, that's probably going to be people you're going to find outside of your regular OBGYN office. It's just going to be people you see as menopause specialists and you can find them virtually, you know. You find them sometimes locally, but you can also nowadays find people virtually. And, you know, as long as I don't have to do your pap smear, there's no way, I, there's no reason I can't help you virtually with your hormones, you know? Oh, yeah. And that's what you've done with me. I mean, I, I'm such a fan of that system of being able to speak to you. I have much more time to talk. You have time to listen. You're not stressed and pressured right? You don't have all those circumstances causing you to behave the way, sadly, many doctors do. And um, yeah, I think it's an amazing thing. And then if I would have to, you know, do something uh, actually physically with my body, we can figure that out. Okay, so let's go to, so we talked about hormone replacement. And, but I want to talk a little bit more about the symptoms of menopause. I found it's interesting, maybe two years ago, I had an episode with a couple of women and we were talking about how little we knew about our bodies, how little we knew about our our cycle. Like, how is it that that we grew up knowing nothing about our cycle? I had no idea it was connected to the moon, the moon cycle. I learned that two years ago. Like, how did I not know that? I didn't know what the luteal phase was. I didn't know. I had never been taught this. I just knew that it was painful. I bleed. I can't wait to get over it. And then you move on with the rest of your month. And sadly, I passed that on to my daughters because that's all I knew. So besides hormone replacement, when it comes to menopause and perimenopause, I find that just like with our menstrual cycle, we don't know what the hell's happening. We don't know what's happening with our body. We don't understand it. No one's explained it. It just comes out of the blue. We ask our friends, we ask our moms. And then if the symptoms don't match up, we think there's something wrong with us. I had a friend actually say, it was actually a friend of a friend. I don't think any of my friends would ever say this, but a friend of a friend said, and I quote, I don't get it. I mean, I just don't get what the big deal is. I just like all of a sudden had menopause. I didn't have any symptoms. In this judgmental, just like we judge women who have a different experience with pregnancy. So there's so much we could unpack there, but could you just briefly explain what is happening in our bodies and or or maybe some resources like you already suggested about the other book to empower ourselves to understand what's going on and not be afraid of what's happening. Yeah. Um, when it comes to resources, I love certain authors. There's a lot of a lot of good books out there. I definitely love Dr. Uh, David Rosensweet. I love Dr. Christine Northrup. 
she's very much also about divine femininity, very informed, very much about also healing the soul spiritually. I like Dr. Felice Gersh. She's wonderful also for menopause. There's a small book that she has. It's about like 100 things you didn't know about menopause. And it reads so fast. And it's just like 30 pages. Felice Gersh. Dr. David Rosensweet, Dr. Christine Northrup, and then Estrogen Matters, the book that I mentioned earlier. I'm so happy you mentioned that, like a lot of women judging other women, that's very common too, uh, for sure. I think everyone's experience is very different and some women might undergo menopause and not suffer at all. And that's a very difficult conversation for me to have when they come to the office and I ask them where they are with the menopausal symptoms. They're in post-menopause, basically. They have done the transition. They said, I don't have any symptoms. And I still want to talk about just for them to know, because nobody will tell them, nobody will tell them. And I don't have to, it's really more work, but I do it because I love like you, when I know something, I want to share the knowledge. I tell them about the benefits of things that we know about hormones, like for bone health and and brain health and mood and, you know, anxiety relief and libido. And I often do get judged by patients by bringing it up. They're like, why would you talk to me about this? I told you I have no symptoms. I I don't want to hear about hormones. And I'm like, that is absolutely fine. I just don't want you to leave my office and not being told about everything you could know. And Dr. Muscati, what about this? Wouldn't you guess too, there are probably patients who say, I have no symptoms because they don't even know that their brain fog is that. They have no idea that they've changed. They don't have, they don't have, hot flashes, they don't have night sweats, they haven't gained weight, but maybe if they would listen, you'd they would say, oh, shit, maybe that's why I don't want to have sex as often. Maybe that's why I feel a little depressed. 100%. But you know, you don't get them to listen with one visit. You can just open the conversation a little bit. If they're curious, they might want to listen. But often what happens with women is, and that's why I think friendships are so important and women are supporting other women, because The women that I find the easiest to talk to are the ones who have already heard a lot of good things about hormones when they come to my practice, and they don't have that negative assumption. The ones who come in fear because of a family history, and then someone told their mother or their aunt or their sister that their cancer was based on hormones, you're not going to ever convince that person about what hormones can do for them. And it's not my role to convince anybody of anything, but I like to really just inform So I think it's really good to surround yourself by women who themselves are advocates for their health so that you can all exchange ideas in a very positive way without fear. And again, things might work for one person, might not work for the next. Everyone is very individual. Even hormones are not a one solution for everyone. It's just really, really individualized. And you need a doctor who even, even if they're a hormone specialist, that's how it gets even tougher gel because it's not enough to find someone who's a hormone specialist. You need someone who understands what else plays into a role for hormones, what other side of, you know, what what other factors in your health play a role? How do your organ systems, you know, all work together? And who understands that your response to hormones might not be the one that everybody else has. And then you remember that we had that conversation, the way your body responds to a specific hormone. Your body doesn't read the textbook. So I have to not only be a hormone specialist, I have to be capable of individualizing the hormone therapy just to you, just uniquely to your unique self. And so I think it's difficult. I think as a, as a physician, it's challenging, but it also makes it super exciting because That's how it never gets dull. It never gets boring. Every single person is different. Every single person. And I love that. I really do. So when you when you have someone with hot flashes, it's important to understand the whole context, right? You can give someone hormones, but if you don't understand that there might be underlying also stressors that are contributing their environment, if they don't work on other things, like what are their relationships in life? What's the relationship to themselves? Are there any stress resilience mechanisms they're using like breathing techniques meditation are they working on calming down their sympathetic nervous system hormones can only do so much hormones are big messenger molecules that can override other body functions but you still want to support the body in every way and not just have the big one the big molecules take over you want to also understand you have to dress your lifestyle your the diet that you're having are you exposing yourself to enough sunlight are you using 
the the benefits of detoxing yourself with you know castor oil packs and sauna and breathing because breathing is is one way of detoxing and excreting chemicals out of you and uh and calming down your nervous system and working on your relationships and maybe doing trauma therapy and maybe doing you know certain um um exercises moving your body so i think that's super important whenever someone uh, undergoes a transition um to include all aspects of health into that so i agree with you and i think that um supporting all body systems understanding that if I start you on a hormone, I'm going to be a little bit more specific. It's your liver and your gut have to process those hormones. And then your cell membrane has to take up those hormones. So if your cell membranes are not communicating because your certain nutrients are deficient or certain balances between your um, fatty acids are off, omega-3s, omega-6s, saturated fats, if your amino acid status is low, you're not eating enough protein, you don't make enough building blocks to make those hormones and make receptors for those hormones to even welcome them into your cells, even though I'm giving them your hormones. If your liver is not functioning, if your liver is very burdened by other toxins, someone has heavy metals, has breast implants, has mold, has you know other things going on, you want to help support that liver because now you're adding on hormones and it's going to make that liver work harder. So you got to have you have to understand that. Or the gut, if your gut flora is off and you have certain enzymes upregulated, they are not helpful then with making sure you clear those hormones out of your body. They will catch those hormones, bring them back into the body, and now you become hormone dominant. Certain things can happen. So you understand? So just starting someone on hormones is not enough. You got to understand their nutrient status, the liver, the gut, how are those cells communicating with each other? That's where when you do hormones and you understand functional medicine and you understand the primary physiologic changes in the body, then you stand out even more. Me and Dr. Stillman had the same mentor, Dr. Beck, who was very much about, you got to get the basics right first, you know? And so, and and then hormones are an additional help, but they're not going to replace basic lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have found that with me that I had this, beautifully positive, and I've talked about it on the show, response to the hormones. I told you that with the progesterone, I just want to slather my whole body in it. Like I crave it. Like right now, I I need to call in the pharmacy to have it um, uh, replenished. And I forgot to do it yesterday. And I was like, oh God, as soon as I'm done with the call with her, I have to, it's like my crack. I have to call them because I literally want to drink it. I want to put it all over my body. I love how I feel with the progesterone. I see, and with the testosterone, I mean, all of it. I love. So I'm on estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And I love it. But but as I have shared with you, I was still having these breakthrough hot flashes. They were unpredictable, though. It wasn't all the time. I would have them very badly, and then not at all for weeks, and then a little bit, then a lot, then a bit. So you suggested acupuncture, which definitely helped. I pulled back on the acupuncture and have had no issues with hot flashes for a month now. And then I just started the castor oil. So let's let's talk about that because that's something that I feel that most people are not doing. They have no idea how helpful it is. I went down to rabbit hole of castor oil and I was like, why have I not been doing this? Why did you tell me to do castor oil? For the reason of helping you support your liver. So that if you have other toxins in your body that you're fighting with, which you explained to me that you believe based on your history you have, And I'm not going to question that. I believe that. I believe that after implants are removed, your body has to take a long time to heal from certain things. And I think, and even if you didn't have that, the castor oil packs are just a wonderful way to help your liver get support. And another thing that I really love is sauna. Sauna is a really easy way to get that. Okay. So going back to the castor oil though, what else does it do? Because I, I feel like there are so many health benefits that we don't even know about. Um, with castor oil. Tell, maybe just tell the listeners. I mean, the castor oil itself has so many healing properties. So for example, I can use it for just supporting uh, the thyroid. You can you can place the castor oil packs over the thyroid. You can place it over breasts if you have inflamed breasts because you have fibrocystic breasts or dense breasts. That's a sign of inflammation in your breast. 
you can place castor oil packs over your breasts. You can place castor oil packs over fibroids. If you have uterine fibroids, you can place it over your pelvis. And so the castor oil has the purifying characteristics and the hormone cleansing properties. And so a lot of what I just described, for example, estrogen dominance can be responsible for very, very dense breasts or very big fibroids. And so it kind of helps counteract the effects of that and helps the body just dump toxins and purify itself. You want to make sure the packing for the castor oil has to be organic cotton, non-bleached, and you want to make sure the castor oil itself is organic, you know, because you are absorbing it through your skin. So you want to make sure you're using the highest quality of it. One company that has really made itself a really good name and seems to have good quality products is called uh, Queen of Thrones. There might be other other companies out there. I think she, the creator, has just done a really good job, you know, of spreading the word. And so that's probably the only brand currently that I'm recommending because I'm not aware of all the different ones that might be equally good. But yeah, it's just those healing properties. Castor oil is not something new. I mean, the old Egyptians used castor oil to grow hair and make their eyelashes grow faster. I mean, it's just very nutrient dense and healing, you know, it's almost like a chameleon if what in what it can do. It can help things grow in nutrient wise and it can help things detox. So it has multiple properties. I'm not a specialist on it, but I do know it really helps the liver detoxification for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've been doing it a few weeks now and I'm just going to keep doing it. You said three to four times a week is super helpful. And well, I did go down a rabbit hole and I was learning about it and I, I was shocked at all the benefits. It even said it helps gut health. So when I was a kid in the 70s, okay, when we would watch television in the 70s, it was very known like on the little rascals and some of these black and white shows we used to watch that the mom would take a tablespoon of castor oil and the kids would all scrunch up their face and they'd make them have a tablespoon of castor oil. That's how I knew what castor oil was. So when you were telling me to put it on my belly, I was like, why am I putting it on the outside of my body? Yeah, you can also consume it internally. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, it has just anti-inflammatory properties. Yes, and and they said it kept them from being sick. It it's said incredible. that it was known to, and I know you, you're going to go, you, now you're going to go to research it. Um, I'm definitely going to research the internal use more. Yeah. yeah. But when I asked my mother about it, who's in her eighties and she said, oh yeah, we always had a teaspoon of castor oil every day. It kept us from being sick. And doesn't it also help with bowel movements? I think internal use, I've heard of it for bowel movements, but yeah, I'll definitely research it more. I love the use for the hormone health in terms of the external use for the balancing with that. And then another thing I love is the sauna, as I said, just sauna, infrared sauna is the best way for deep tissue healing and detoxification. Often, you know, a lot of the symptoms overlap where hormones change, but also there can be other reasons for those symptoms like weight gain, right? So simultaneously, as your thyroid slows down and your estrogen progesterone balances off and your testosterone decreases, you also have just more toxin overload overall because you've just, you're in, a, in your fourth or fifth decade of life. So you have accumulated more toxins. Our lives are more toxic now. And so you have a lot of symptoms overlap between those. And so I think that just by supporting your cells, to detox those toxins, they can deal better with whatever hormones you're throwing at them. But a cell that's completely saturated, mitochondria that are completely sluggish, um, your liver is completely congested, your gut is unhealthy. Now you throw hormones in a very unhealthy terrain, in an unhealthy body. It's not going to do the same things. You're going to have extreme reactions. You're going to have mast cell activity. You're going to have bloating. You're going to feel you're overgrowing candida now. And all of those things can happen with hormones, right? And you feel like you're swelling up. You're feeling your weight gain is getting worse. So hormones only work to a certain extent, but we have to clean up our terrain and our bodies to be fully healthy recipients of those hormones. Because as I said, they're very big signaling molecules that can override some of the things that are missing. But over time, you won't be able to compensate for missing nutrients. Like if your if your sodium potassium ratio is off, or if you're lacking magnesium, and you are vitamin D deficient, but then now you're throwing hormones into the body, you're still not going to make up for those nutrient deficiencies, and they can only get worse. And then 
you're lacking things to make hormones communicate the efficient way. And so they're not going to have the same effect. That's why one woman might feel great with hormones and the next doesn't. And it's because that's our bio-individuality. That's, that's our terrain. That's how our body is going to receive things. And so the hormone is one tool in the toolbox. It's not going to explain everything. It's not going to heal anything by itself. Another aspect I want women to take away is the mental aspect, the t- trauma aspect, the, the, the spiritual aspect. I can throw the best quality hormones at you if you are not going to heal your past trauma, your, your certain things that you're carrying with you, the stressors. Your, your healing process is not going to be complete. So there's just so many aspects to this. And honestly, I can only get there after getting to know a woman a few times and after a few visits. This is not all going to reveal itself to us in our relationship within one visit. So I I require patience from my patients and also patience on my behalf for their healing process. It's going to take some time. It's going to get some, it's going to take some getting to know each other using different help during the process. I'm not going to be your only person, your contact person. We might have to bring a therapist on board. We might have to have a nutritionist on board. We might have to get you a a trainer, a personal trainer who shows you how to train your muscles. There's just so many aspects to that, but I'll be there to guide you. I'll be there to to counsel you. I'll be your second opinion. If you have a regular OBGYN and just want to have a second opinion, I'll be all those roles. I do not have to put, be put in a box. I am open to be whatever you want me to be for you. So I think that makes it more exciting for me anyways. You know, I just, I can't be put in a box, Jill. I have, I know, I love way it. <laughs> too many, I've had way too many different, I have too many different life experiences, me, too many cultures, just too many sides to me that just can't be put in a box. So that's what yeah. makes you, you. Okay. I know we need to hang out, but I have one last quick question. Will you tell us why after let's say, maybe everyone in general, but let's say especially in your 40s and 50s, why we need to make sure we're eating a lot of protein. It's something that I had never heard of until I started working with you and Dr. Stillman. And I think it's just becoming a lot more widespread knowledge now, which wasn't a few years ago. Sarcopenia or loss of muscle is one of the biggest risk factors for injuries and higher mortality in women. And so it's important for our bone health to have good muscle. It's important for our brain health to have muscle. We know there's a muscle brain communication. It's important for our um, overall health. And so protein is the main source for muscle building and maintaining muscle mass. And most people don't eat enough protein. And the amount of protein that one should eat is very controversial, but it goes anywhere from from between 30 to 50 grams per meal. If you just look at an average, what a woman should try to hit without feeling overwhelmed, I would say 30 grams a meal would be like three meals a day, 90 grams a day is the minimum should should, should try to hit. And combining that with a very targeted exercise for muscle building two or three times a week will just help a woman maintain and even build muscle in her fourth and fifth decade of life. And that, I would say, is one of her best predictors for longevity, for anti-aging. It's going to help her stay healthy and feel strong have energy. And yeah. And one thing I didn't know until recently is that our muscles produce certain um, happy hormones, not endorphins. There was a different name, the specific um, hormone I had never heard of. It wasn't endorphins, but the muscles produce them and that can help reduce depression. So I thought that was incredible to, to understand that even more. So yeah, I would encourage women to eat more protein because as our metabolism slows down, if we build more muscle if we, uh, and if we eat more protein, it can really fight the weight gain that we can experience in our fourth or fifth or sixth decade of life. And it can help support, uh, maintain also hormone health because protein is the building block for a lot of receptors and cellular mechanisms in our body. So definitely eat enough protein. I'm glad you mentioned the amount because I think most women are where I was. You know, I was under eating in general, but also I had no idea how protein deficient I was. I mean, I started counting and I was, I was at like 30 to 40 grams a day. 
Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm eating vegetables. I'm doing okay. I have a little chicken here and there. And when when I increased my protein, I felt like a completely different person. I'm still not where I really would like to be because I'm not moving my body enough. But anyway, I'll get there. But I will just want to say to the listener, it makes a big difference to count, be aware of it, and then try to get to that at least, you know, 30 every meal. So let's say 90 grams. It makes a big difference. Just, just know that even if you don't move, just eating high protein diet has been associated with changed body composition. Just eating protein without moving has changed body composition for people. So meaning less body fat and more muscle mass. Yes, I should have clarified. Sorry, what I mean is since I'm not moving enough, I'm not hungry enough oh, to eat that much protein. It's harder for me because I've been in, I've been in a slump for a couple of months. And I have to add that a lot of people later in life, their stomach acidity goes down. And so they don't break protein down as well. And maybe they have changes to their gut health. And so they don't crave protein as much because it sits on their stomach. They feel heavy. And so sometimes they need digestion help, digestive help. And very simple way to help that would be like apple cider vinegar or a ginger shot or a digestive bitter before their meal or using digestive enzymes, but it would be great to do it under guidance of a doctor so you actually know when to use those to not make certain other conditions worse if you had those, but something to try if you feel like you just don't break down protein enough. And then the other thing is, I love the preparation matters too. Like if you really fry something on high heat, it's not going to be as digested, well digested as something slowly cooked, braised, falling off the bone. And then the quality of the the protein matters. And I think it's so, so great to know that protein helps you with blood sugar balancing. It can help reduce insulin resistance in women. It can help control appetite and, and helping maintain blood sugar helps a lot of women with their mood. A lot of mood swings that we experience is from, from insulin and glucose variation. So basically our glucose falling abruptly as becoming hypoglycemic can make us very hangry, very upset. And we are not even aware of how that impacts our, our stress and our hormones, right? Our cortisol rises, our adrenaline rises, our hot flashes come on. And that can be sometimes a blood sugar issue. So if someone is experiencing hot flashes, I also bring up, please notice that your blood sugar is very important. And let's make sure you get enough protein to maintain that blood sugar in a more stable way that will help you with your hot flashes for sure. And I will attest that as someone who's always loved sugary treats, that when I am eating enough protein, I have zero craving for anything sweet. It has really, really changed. I might have a little square of dark chocolate that I really am not craving anymore that when I'm getting enough protein, when I'm not, I go right back to craving that. And, and I love carbs too. I think what we forget sometimes is that we need sugar to bring energy to the brain. And we also need certain carbs, just we need carbs to bring certain amino acids function better into the cells. And that can help sleep and relaxation and parasympathetic activation. So I do often encourage women if they're going to have carbs to do that more with their evening meal so it can calm their nervous system down and it can help their sleep and maintain their blood levels and also the liver glycogen levels. If the liver stores sugar and if that falls during the night, it sometimes wakes women up, their adrenaline can rise. So I say it's important to maintain blood sugar during the day with protein so that you don't overly snack and that you don't have too much hypoglycemia. And in the evening, maybe have some carbs so it calms down your nervous system, you sleep better and your liver is supported as well. That is so interesting. So maybe that's why a lot of us wake up during the night during menopause. Yeah, because a lot of women do very low carb and intermittent fasting, which that has its own benefits, but it can be hard for some women who cannot maintain their liver glycogen during the night. And everyone is a little bit different with that. And depending on how stressed we are and what our cortisol levels are and what other factors are playing a role in our sleep and what B vitamins we're lacking, it's all plays a role, but carbs can be helpful sometimes. So I, I tell women, choose a, a healthy choice of carb would be like a sweet potato or a potato instead of like a, a pizza bread or, uh, you know, refined sugar, you know, so a healthy, uh, full of minerals and vitamins, 
source of vegetable, like a root vegetable, you know, a complex starch, like that can be very helpful before going to bed in addition to whatever protein you're consuming and, and fats. Just, just remember at dinner time, your digestive system slows down. So you don't want to make your main meal, your dinner. It's just going to be harder to digest. And so maybe some carbs and like easy to digest protein, smaller portion and not too fatty at night. It's going to help you sleep better. Yeah. Sometimes, Jill, what I have is, is an oatmeal, a bowl of oatmeal, and I love it. And I sleep so well. And then the bowel movements the next day are incredible with the oatmeal. So sometimes the dinner is simple. It's definitely a little bit simpler than the breakfast or the lunch, you know? So yeah, lots of different things to consider. And every woman works differently and just so much to learn. And maybe if we do this in another year, I have other things that I'll learn and in five years, even more things. So I think this should be a continuous conversation. I don't claim to know everything. Absolutely not. I can only try to be the best I can be for you with my current knowledge and my current wisdom. And it's not all encompassing. And I learn from you and I learn from all my patients. And I continue to, I, I hope to continue to learn. That's what I hope for. Mm, such a great quality. Thank you so much. This has been a really enlightening and interesting conversation and information that every woman really deserves to hear. Um, we have a lot in this episode, so I'm excited about it. And thank you so much. So if they do say they would like to work with you, how do they do that? I think I found the easiest for me is for people to maybe contact me over just my Instagram because I have different platforms that I work with and depending on who where someone is located and what they're looking for, I can advise them. If they can come and see me locally in Florida, that's wonderful. If they want to do virtual, then I can advise them on different platforms. So just maybe contact me, uh, you know, on Instagram, Dr. Salma Scotty, MD. I would love to have more followers there, have more conversations on there, because I feel like a lot of the feedback I get there helps me learn as well. And then I just like to keep informing women through that. I'm only using Instagram and not on TikTok or Facebook or YouTube because I do all my social media myself and it's very time consuming. But yeah, I think Instagram is a great way to communicate with me. Yeah. Find her on Instagram. Her account's great. She has super educational posts, whether it's about magnesium or castor oil or hormones. They're really, really good. You do a great job with your social media. So follow her there and then just send her a DM if you would like to set up some type of a discovery call. And I highly, obviously recommend um, Dr. Miscotti. So thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. And we will talk to you again in the future. Bye, kisses. (laughs) 